Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. Thanks, Dave. Bless you all for giving. It's so beautiful just to stand and watch and um, the, the giving and the praying and the worshiping. There's something so special about it. The reason we're on this journey, we started last week looking at this theme of unveiled faces, and the whole idea was to allow us to understand a little bit about the holiness of God, um, because the holiness of God reveals some stuff in us that we're going to look at um, this morning we talked, and I'm going to talk about the origin of holiness, where holiness all began. I'm going to talk to you about that over the next couple of Sunday mornings, about the origin of holiness. Dave um, introduced you to this verse last week in 2 Corinthians 3, about the unveiled faces. It says, we with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, and we're being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory. So if you're a believer in here this morning, I know many of you are, then there's a process. It's a process. It's not just an address, all right? It's a process. There's an ever-changing. And so if you're saved a number of years, there should be an ongoing, day-by-day, transforming, ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And so there's really important to understand that, that there's a journey in this. I, I understood this many, many years ago that um, be, being a Christian is not about keeping the rules, all right? Sometimes we think of it this way. It's not about rules and regulations. It's about direction. It's about the direction you're going. And so, my question each night as I go to bed is, tonight as I, as I, as I turn the light off and go to sleep, am I a little bit closer? Am I further on in the journey of my faith? Am I further on in the journey of my ever-increasing glory, or am I a little bit further away? What direction am I heading? So that's a good question to start off with um, this morning. We um, want to go on this journey of unfolding the greatness of God, and of course, uh, around our whole discipleship theme, which is following Jesus in all of life, which is really, really important. So, um, most of you know that, uh, many of you know that I have nine grandchildren, and um, they, whenever, especially, especially my girls, especially Maddie and Poppy and Abby, whenever they were a little bit smaller, when I would visit any of their homes, what they would do would, uh, they, would, they, would they would take me like a, I felt a bit like an old man. They would say, Papa, come and sit down. And they would take me by the, by the arm, and they would take me to a chair, and they would, they would set me into a chair. And then they would go to their, <clears throat> their little kitchen that they got, their, got for Christmas, and they would say, Papa, what do you want to drink? And I would say, can I have a cup of tea? And they would go to work in this little kitchen, and of course, they'd get the teapot out, and they'd pour their imaginary tea into the cup, and they'd come and they'd give me the cup. And then they'd get the plate and they'd say, Papa, what is there to eat? And I would say, well, what is there? And they'd say, well, there's pizza and pavlova. And I'd say, well, that's a great mix. And I'll have a piece of both. And they would give me a bit of pizza and they would give me a piece of pavlova. And they would reach me this plate. Now, again, we all know there was nothing on the plate and there was nothing in the cup. But I would sip the cup with great delight. And they would watch as if they were intentive to, to see, do, do I like this tea? 
Is this good pavlova? Is this a nice pizza? And I would munch at the pizza. And, and I would say, oh, that is the loveliest pizza. And their little eyes would dance. They were, they would, their eyes would just dance and glisten as they were lapping in all this approval of my, um, my, my love for their cooking uh, skills. Imagination's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Imagination's a wonderful thing. And unfortunately, what happens is... Um, Children have the capacity to imagine. It's what makes their early years so interesting and so captivating and so innocent and so wonderful. And sadly, as we get older, the concerns of life, relationships and finances and diets and all of those things take the place of, of imagination and something dulls in our life. And, and so what I want to do this morning, I want to talk to you about something that I've never heard preached on before, all right? I want to talk to you a little bit about your imagination, all right? Your imagination. And I want to talk about, oh, I just went onto the board. Hank will be really cross. I want to talk about that in connection to your faith. So I just want to keep that up there and let you see it. Your imagination. Imagine your imagination, all right? Julia's catching Julie's eye. Julie has a great imagination. If you've never read any of her books, you should read some of her books. And she's written her books with a vivid imagination because I love imagination. Imagine, my imagination goes wild. You, you folks, woke me this morning at five o'clock. Five o'clock, I'd set my alarm for six, but you woke me at five. And my imagination began to take over. And I began to go up and down the rows, and I began to see faces, and I began to imagine that maybe someone would be in here this morning who had never met Jesus in their whole life. And I thought, wow, wouldn't that be amazing if somebody actually came to faith in church this morning? And then I began to imagine all the people who would be sitting, and I, some families came to mind, and, then, and by that time, sleep was gone, and the coffee was calling. And so I slipped out down the stairs, got the coffee pot on, and there we are. So imagination is a very powerful thing. And when it comes to Christian faith, a religious system, listen to me now, centered on surrendering, surrendering your life to a God who you cannot see, touch or hear, imagination becomes a really important thing. And I've never actually heard anybody preach on imagination, okay? Now, don't worry, I'm going to go to the Bible, okay? Just in case you're about to stone me, you look like, some of you look like. So, my, my little interpretation of imagination is this, that imagination is, doesn't mean that we try to see something that's not real. Rather, it's the capacity to see what is real, even though we can't see it with our natural eye. That's what true imagination really is. Now you're saying, Phil, how, how do you get that? Well, you see, God gave us a dual sight system. Did you know that? God give us a dual sight system. He give us eyes, not your eyes, that we can see with. So you can see um, people and you can see around you and you can see things and you can see the splendor and the wonder of God's majesty. But God also give us eyes of the heart. He give us spiritual eyes that we would see different things. Now you're wondering where this is in the Bible. Well, the Bible is actually full of this stuff. This story here in 2 Kings 6 is a story of the prophet Elisha. It's a brilliant story. You should read it sometime. And what happened was this king was wondering why the Israelites always had, were a step ahead of him. And, and he, he eventually comes to the conclusion that there's a spy in the camp. And he, he says to his men, find out who the spy is. 
Find out who that spy is. And somebody comes to him and said, excuse me, king, but we don't actually have a spy. Israel have a prophet. He's called Elisha. And he said, his God tells him what you do in your bedchamber. That's what it says in the Scripture. Read it for yourself. His God tells him what you do in your bedroom. Nothing is a secret to him. And the king is enraged. He says, well, get that man. Get him here. I'm going to kill him. And so he sends his hordes and his armies to get Elisha. And, and, and what happens when we come to this verse? Um, they, they ride through the night. They arrive where the prophet lives, and he lives down in a valley. And Elisha's servant gets up nice and early, and he goes outside to get a bucket of coal or a bag of sticks. I don't know what he went outside. And he sees the armies, all these enemy armies around. And he, and he does a sort of a, he freaks out, we would say. And he runs in, and he says, Elisha, we're doomed, we're doomed. And Elisha says, take a chill pill, it's all right. And he says, no, 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 no. You, you gotta, and he's pulling him by the arm. You've got to come out and see what's going on out here. And he, and he pulls him outside, and Elisha prays this prayer. He says, God, Open his eyes that he may see. Open the eyes of his heart. Open his spiritual realm. Open that spiritual dimension. And of course, what happens is God opens the eyes of the servant and he sees the valley full of the angel armies of God. It's a brilliant story. And then the story goes on that God strikes them, the Elisha prays and strikes the armies with blindness and they get all confused and Away they go. So it's a great story. You should read it sometime. And, and again, I say, I could fill the screen with scriptures this morning. Two on the road to mess. Luke 24 um, tells about after Jesus is resurrected, he comes along and he walks for se- about se- five to seven miles. Those of you who have been in the Holy Land will tell me that's how far it is. And he walks with these people. Then he lets on. He's going to go a little bit further. They entice him to come into the house. And he's breaking bread. And then he, he prays and he says, open their eyes. And said that the Lord opened their eyes and they knew who Jesus was. So over and over again, we get this kind of reference. You see, there's this idea that, um, I have a little table here. So I wanted to show you something. There's this idea that, that, God has given us a clear sight. He's, he's done something in our eyes. He's given us eyes to our heart, an imagination, if you want, um, that, that, that could imagine the great things of God. Unfortunately, what happens is life happens. <laughs> life happens. Those of you who are really struggling to get off your knees this morning know that life happens, doesn't it? Years go on, and it takes us little toll. And what happens is we, the, we, we, have this, we have this thing called sin that infects our heart. And actually, instead of us having a clear vision, it actually begins to, to, to soil the vision. It gets a little bit murky. It starts to get murked up, and, and, the, and the clarity of vision that we once had seems to have gone. And, and the eyes of our heart we just can't see the things that they used to see. And this is why Paul, when he writes to the church at Corinth in, in 316, the second book, he says, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. There's something about this enemy who loves to soil our souls. There's this enemy who loves to, to murky the waters. There's this enemy who loves to send disrepute into our being. And the Bible tells us this again, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, that the God of this world, Satan, he says, who is the God of this world, comes and, he, and he's blinded the minds of those who don't believe. 
So that's why sometimes you're, you, you've, you've, you know, you've maybe told your neighbor, you've told a loved one, a, maybe, maybe a family member about Jesus, and it just seems to fall in deaf ears. It just can't seem to get it. Well, maybe, maybe one of my prayers is, I say, Lord, would you snatch the blindfold off their eyes so that they can see you? Would you remove uh, their blindfold? Would you open the eyes of their heart? And this is why we're teaching on unveiled faces because the illuminating Spirit of God actually illuminate the eyes of our heart. And the holiness, this holiness is so far beyond anything that any ordinary experience or any category of thing that we can slot it into. Now, if you've been a Christian for a while, or you will know without me telling you that God is holy. And so what I want to do this morning, I want to turn to a passage. I was delighted Gary sang that song, Holy, Holy, Holy. He didn't know what I was going to be preaching on. I didn't know he was going to be singing that song with the team this morning, but God was at work by the Holy Spirit. I didn't know Dave was going to read Psalm 24 at the beginning, but I, I, I woke this morning, Psalm 24 was flying through my mind. That's the way the Spirit of God works. Now, if you've got a Bible or on your phone or, or, or a good old leather back one, whatever, Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6, all right? We're trying to encourage you to bring Bibles to church because sometimes we can fire all up on the screen. So probably our main passage we're going to read and ask you to bring in your Bibles. It's good to look it up and to, and to follow along. First eight verses of Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of His robe filled the temple, Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. Quite an interesting boy, oh, that, wasn't it? And uh, one called to another, and they said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, or the Lord of hosts, some of your versions will say. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And he said, Woe is me, for I am lost, and I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me. I always think that, that, that little line sort of freaks me out. I imagine if I had been Isaiah, and that thing with six wings flew at me with a burning coal in his hand, I think, I'm doomed. This is it, I'm ghost now. But he's, he says, this, this one flew to him with a, in his hand a burning coal that he'd taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth. And he said, behold, um, this has touched your, this, behold, this has touched your lips, and your guilt is taken away, and your sins atoned for. It's a powerful passage, isn't it? And, and, and so this idea that, that this God, uh, now please don't miss the significant rep repetition of holy, holy, holy. All right, it's not a misprint. All right, it's not a misprint. The, the, the seraph is saying this word holy three times to capture the depth and the breadth of God's holiness. You see, when you, when you say something, like if I were to say to you, man, I was, up, I was in the shopping center yesterday and I saw this big guy. Like, I mean, I mean big. I mean big, big, big. Like you... My, my emphasis of the word would, would make you think that guy definitely was huge, wouldn't it? You, because, because the overemphasis 
of the word. And this is what the, this is what the, what the, what the prophet's saying. In the same way, he's saying, holy, holy, holy. It's supposed to try and stretch your imagination. He's saying, holy, holy, holy is this Lord God Almighty. You have no reference point. There's no category. There's nowhere you can slot this into. And the seraph doesn't finish there. He actually goes on and he says, holy, holy, holy is this Lord God Almighty. And then he goes, the whole earth is full of His glory. Not the whole room, not the whole street, not the whole town. He says the whole earth is full of His glory. I'm trying to whack your imagination to who who He's talking about. He's talking about a God that our minds are going to struggle really to get in stretch in the boundaries because He's much holier than you ever thought holiness could be. He's he's just this incredible God, this God who fills the earth fundamentally different from you. All right, I say this all the time. God's not a big one of us. Don't ever think God's just a big human. God is God. He is one. And, 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 and this idea that He's bigger and, and holier than anyone and anything that you've ever imagined. And I'm just praying right now that God would open the eyes of your heart and allow you to see this. Because this is a powerful thing. Holy, holy, holy is this Lord of hosts. The earth is filled with His glory. Now, what I want to talk about for 10 minutes or so is talk to you about what is holiness, all right? And then I'm going to give you four practical applications to it. The word holiness is an interesting word. It's the Hebrew word kadosh, or I don't know how to, that's pronounced rightly, kadosh, or whatever it is, but it means to cut. It means, it means to be, be totally separate from anything else that you've ever imagined, all right? It's a deeper meaning than that. It's sort of a double-sided thing because it actually goes further, and it means to be eternally uh, are entirely morally pure in, in everything and in every way and all time. This God is completely, he, he, he occupies a moral space that no one ever before has occupied. And you have no experience or no reference point. It's not like somebody could say, well, you know, it's, it's a bit like this. God's a bit like this. There's just no, absolutely no reference point. You get my so, I'm trying to get you to use your imagination this morning. Um, now, here, here's the thing. I, I could put you loads of verses up here. I, I didn't even venture into Isaiah. Isaiah asked the question over and over again, to who can we compare God? Who is like our God? Here's a couple from the Old Testament. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Where is there? There is none holy like the Lord. Over and over again, I could fill... Uh, the rest of the time with scriptures just about that. But there's, and here, here's the thing, holiness is just not an aspect of God. Holiness is the essence of God. It's not an attribute of God. It's a bit like, remember, the, the, the little epistle John talks about God is love. He's not saying God does love or God is good at love. He's saying God is love. It's an attribute of His being. It's the same about holiness. It's not that God does holy things. God is the very essence of holiness. Everything about Him is holy. And this is the incredible thing because He invites us into this. So what He's actually saying is that God is love and God is holy. So everything He does, everything He thinks, everything He desires, everything He speaks, so God is holy in every attribute and in every action. So God is holy in His faithfulness. He's holy in His mercy. He's holy in His justice. He's holy in His grace. He's holy in His love. He is holy even in His holiness. 
this God. So holiness actually matters. It matters. And here's why it matters. It matters because if, if God wasn't holy, God is, the holiness of God is the centerpiece of the whole gospel. All right? It's a whole, the centerpiece of the whole gospel. Because without the holiness of God, we would be lost and there would be no reality of right or wrong. Without the holiness of God, there never would have been a sacrifice for sin offered. Without the holiness of God, death, hell, and grave would be our lot. Without the holiness of God, Satan would be the winner in the battle for planet earth. And of course, Dave read at the start, we know that's not true because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and all who dwell therein. Our God is holy. He's trying to, Isaiah's trying to get us to use our imagination this morning. Now, the biblical story would not be the biblical story without the holiness of God. And here's the thing. I'm telling you all this this morning, and the more I, I studied this last week, the more, actually, there's a tendency almost to shrink in terror from this holiness. But the beauty of this holiness is you, you sort of think when you begin to try and imagine the holiness of God, and my, my, I, I, I tell you this, I have a vivid imagination. My imagination does run wild. I know it does. I know it's been my greatest strength and it's been my greatest weakness. I, I, I said to somebody this week, I've been in heaven and I've been in hell. My imagination has taken me to both places in prayer many times. So I, I have a vivid imagination that goes all kinds of places. And so I've got to keep it in check in some shape or form. But Isaiah said, Isaiah said, there's something about thinking about this God because when we start to think about this God, this God, we, we could very easily run in tower and say, oh, he's so holy. He's so holy. I better hide somewhere. But no, God said, no, that's the very reason I'm telling you about the holiness because I'm drawing you in because I want you to be holy as well. You see, I am holy, and I'm calling you to be holy. I'm calling you into this unique dance of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and in holiness, we learn how to do this life together. That's why he's talking about this ever-increasing glory. It's not just going to happen like that, all right? We're living in attention. We're living in the now and not yet, and so it's not, it's not just going to happen overnight, but there's something about changing from glory to glory. So, Four points, and then we're going to worship. Four points. Holiness requires change. Holiness requires change. I love this little passage here. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died. Now, you could miss that. You could miss that really easily. Let me tell you who King Uzziah was. It's quite likely theologians believe that King Uzziah was maybe a full cousin of Isaiah's. King Uzziah was a, was a splendid king. He was a top-notch king. And um, so any stories of immorality, any stories about misjustice, any stories about lack of integrity, none of them could be said about King Uzziah. He actually reigned for 52 years. Isaiah reigned 40. Isaiah was a prophet over Israel for 40 years, and he served under five kings, but mostly under this guy who was his cousin Uzziah. And it looks like they had a really good relationship. And Uzziah, because of the blessing of God, because of the blessing of God, really looked after Isaiah. This is what history would tell us. All right, so, so a lot of Isaiah's dependency was on Uzziah. But in latter stages of Uzziah's life, the blessing of God got to his head. Now, I said this in the first service, and I say it again. One of my biggest qualms in, in church life has been praying for people for blessing. 
You're going to say, Phil, that's the weirdest thing I've ever heard a pastor say. Well, let me tell you why. Of late, I, I started to pray for people who have disappeared over the last 10 years, many of whom got the blessing of God we prayed for. We prayed for blessing on their business, and God came and blessed their business, but then they got too busy. <laughs> and I would ring them up, and I would say, I just have missed you about. And they would say, Phil, just so, so busy, working six days a week now, and, and Sunday's like, you know, just, you know, we, we, Sunday's just a chill day, and like just so busy. And I'm thinking, I, I, I'm not probably bold and brash enough to say, uh, 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 what about the blind? Maybe I should. But I saw time and time again. My, my dad used to say, it takes a steady hand to hold a full cup. <laughs> and it's true. And so be careful of the blessings of God. Because this guy, Uzziah, what happened when God really blessed him? He got a bit arrogant and cocky, and he walked past 80 priests. And he, he, started to, he started to burn incense at the altar of God. He wasn't a priest. He was a king. He should never have been there. And the moment he'd done it, the very moment he'd done it, leprosy hit his forehead like that. And he became a leper. And for 10 years, he died a leper. For 10, he couldn't even reign. His son, Jotham, came in and ruled instead of him. He couldn't actually even reign because of the leprosy. As soon as he overstepped his mark, Morality was good. His testimony was good. His handling of finances was good. Everything was good. But as soon as he overstepped his blessing of God, God struck him, and he was a leper till he died. That's a horrendous story. And, and it, it, it seems that the year that King Uzziah died, all of a sudden, Isaiah realized, I've been dependent on the wrong thing. And God opened his eyes. God opened the eyes of his heart and saw, oh, I shouldn't have been, this is why he says, don't do this, don't live this way, live this way. Don't throw all your dependency on this, throw all your dependency on this. Don't look at your earthly inheritance, look at your heavenly inheritance. On and on I could go. And so this is the first thing I would say, all right? Um, holiness requires change. Holiness brings direction. Holiness brings direction. You see, he says, Then I heard the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, Lord, send me. And it seems that in a world that's out of control, you could tend to think that evil gets sort of applauded and, and, and good seem, seems to go unnoticed. Anybody else notice that? I notice that sometimes, but here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Holiness brings directions. Holiness brings directions, and, and sometimes you have to preach this message to yourself. I have to preach this message to me sometimes because evil is not in control. Injustice does not rule. Corruption is not king. Satan will not have victory. God is and always will be worthy of our praise because he is in full control. And one day he will vanquish our foes. One day he will conquer every foe. He will put it under his foot. And every sad disappointment, depression, discouragement, grief, loss, emotional pain, physical pain, cancer, whatever it is, one day it will be conquered forever and Christ will reign and we will reign with him forever. God is in full control. You got to know that. You see, here's the problem. On the face of it, um, 
the holiness of God, a bit like, a bit like Isaiah, you, you see there's a problem with sin. The, the problem with sin is that we, we can sometimes make them acceptable sins. And the problem with the blurring of our vision sometimes is that sin doesn't always appear to be sin. It's quite attractive and it's quite magnetic and it, it draws us into a realm. And, 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 but you know what? Sin's a disease. And it all depends what you compare it to, you see. If you just become acceptable to that, you see, if you, if you, if you go back to the original, if you take it back to the original, you say, there's no comparison, really. And sometimes we can just get caught away in what's murky and acceptable. And God said, no, 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 no. It's time to open the eyes of your heart. It's time to see that, that this God brings direction. And then number three, number three, holiness reveals her nature. He says, woe is me, I'm lost. Isaiah struck by his brokenness. Isn't it amazing when you come up close to God? Any, anybody else like this, when you come into the prayer room or you come into the presence, into the prayer presence of God, and you, you, you start to worship God, you begin to realize, you begin to, there's a little thing in you that begins to point out some of the stuff that's going on. That's, that's what happened to Isaiah. As soon as God opened his eyes and he got a, a, revel, a revelation of, I, I, I told, tell you this story often, I was 33 years of age. I got saved when I was a boy of six. And, and, and when I was 33 years of age, I used to be a lorry driver and I, and I was standing on top of this old powder tank. I, I hauled powder for the PVC group in Doncaster and I was filling this tank. It took about 45 minutes to fill and I was just six o'clock in the morning and I was just praying and, and God opened my eyes. God revealed to me his love for the first time ever. A man, 33 years of age, I'd never actually understood the love of God. I got saved from the wrath of God, and I always felt that I was like the unruly teenager, that God sort of tolerated me, and he loved me, but he didn't really like me. That was my, the way, and that was nobody's fault, only mine. And I had a revelation of the love of God. Some people said to me, did you get baptized in the Holy Spirit? I haven't a clue. I, I, I'm not going to try and put it into words because I couldn't, but it was a revelation of the love and the spirit and the truth of God that, that broke my heart Do the mass. I'm 60 this year, and I, I was 33, and, it, and it, it changed my life forever because, you see, holiness reveals your nature. And I, I wept for days. I remember signing out at the gate for that load of PVC, and I, uh, the, the, the guy wondered had I got bad news or something. I, I just couldn't actually hold the tears back. I remember driving up the road, and, and for days after, this, this, this wealth of the love of God would just, would just flood my soul, and I'd, I'd be broken in the presence of God because he would, I, His beauty showed my unworthiness. And that's what happens because it reveals our nature. And then lastly, Gary's going to come, and we're going to do a song. Holiness reveals our calling. Holiness reveals our calling. Listen to this verse. This is so powerful as we draw this to a conclusion, right? As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, all right? But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Interesting, isn't it? See that wee word, all? I've highlighted it there. In all your conduct, because... It is written, you shall be holy, for I am 
holy. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. As a believer, the Bible says you are not your own. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. All right? Uh, your bodies. Actually, the context of this scripture was written in, in context to your, to, to, to your sexual nature. Read the passage. So, talking about immoral thoughts and, and things. And he's saying, therefore, um, don't you know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? And then I love this little phrase, who is in you? Who is in you? Friends, be careful where you take him, will you? Be careful what you say when he's there. Be careful what you think when he's around. Be careful how you treat your spouse when he's, when, when he, when he's about, because he's in you. That's why Paul could say, Christ in me is the hope of glory. Oh, what a responsibility. What a responsibility as, as children of God. And so, this idea that understanding that our allegiance is no longer to the kingdom of your success and your happiness, but to the kingdom of His grace and His glory. And it's all about grace. It's all about grace. I say this all the time, for by grace are you saved, Ephesians 2, you know that, 8 and 9, but for by grace you live. I burn more grace. Christians need to burn grace. I burn more grace than anybody else because I could not do what I do without the grace of God, because I have to go before Him all the time and say, God, I did it again. I thought it again. I said it again. I know I said I'd never do that again, but I did it, God. And God, in His beautiful grace, that's what made David a man after God's own heart when he murdered, when he committed adultery, when he lied, all of those things. All of those, you'd say, well, how could that be a man after God's own heart? He just knew how to keep short accounts with God. He knew how to burn up the grace of God. He knew how to get on his knees like we did earlier. I was up, I was up sleeve donnered and Thursday and my legs are so sore. Oh, this is going to be rough getting up. But um, um, the, the, he, he could get onto his knees and say, God, I did it again. God, I, I, I'm a sinner. God, would you, would you forgive me? And God, <laughs> this is the beauty of God. He's, of course, of course I will, son. Just waiting on you asking. Of course it will. Of course it will. The grace and the mercy is there. You just needed to ask for it. Man after God's own heart. It's beautiful, isn't it? Beautiful. And here's the thing. I'm finishing with these verses. The wicked flee, though no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Imagine boldness. There's a great verse in Hebrews 4. This is my last slide. These are the, both the same verse. One's NLT, the bottom one's ESV. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace. That word boldly means with a divine right. God, as a, as a child of God, he is saying, Son, I'm giving you the right to run into my presence with your guilt and your filth and your shame and your all of that stuff anytime. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Let us then with confidence draw near. Oh, the grace of God. We're going to stand. We're going to worship. Our time's gone. Um, and then I'll, I'll pray when we're done. Let's stand and let's worship this God who, who His holiness is beyond our imagination. There's holiness. He's holy, holy, holy. This Lord God Almighty, can you go home today and start using your imagination a little bit and starting to think about how great 
and how majestic this holy God is that invites us right into his presence as Abba, as our Father. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.